morning, my name's Brenda and the sermon reading this morning comes from 1 Corinthians chapter 2 verses 1 to 10. And so it was with me, brothers and sisters, when I came to you, I did not come with eloquence or human wisdom as I proclaimed to you the testimony about God. For I resolved to know nothing while I was with you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. I came to you in weakness, with great fear and trembling. My message and my preaching were not with wise and persuasive words, but with a demonstration of the Spirit's power, so that your faith might not rest on human wisdom, but on God's power. We do, however, speak a message of wisdom among the mature, but not the wisdom of this age or of the rulers of this age who are coming to nothing. No, we declare God's wisdom, a mystery that has been hidden and that God destined for our glory before time began. None of the rulers of this age understood it, for if they had, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. However, as it is written, what no eye has seen, what no ear has heard, and what no human mind has conceived, the things of God has prepared for those who love him. These things are the things God has revealed to us by his spirit. The spirit searches all things, even the deep things of God. Let me pray as we get into this passage. Dear Lord, as we reflect on your word now, I pray that we might know the joy of your salvation and have the conviction and courage to share it with others. Amen. As Christians, uh, we love the good news of the Bible. Uh, For starters, it connects us with who we are and where we came from. And that's a uniquely human desire. We want to know who our mother is, who our father is. We want to know our creator. We want to know why we exist. What is our purpose on this world? And the Bible gives us answers to those questions. It helps us to understand the world we live in, uh, to help us understand the brokenness of the world, but also God's solution. And it gives us confidence as we come to terms with the inevitability of death. And in the present, it's a guide to life. Uh, It shows us what helps humans flourish and equally what hinders us. And at the end of the day, it's not so much about rules, but about relationships and how we relate with God and how we relate with one another. So we love God and we're thankful that God loves us. So why do we struggle so often to communicate that to other people? Uh, We're willing to communicate all sorts of other things we love, our our hobbies, my surfing, my, my cycling, you know, the latest kitchen gadget... Uh, you know, anyone who's, who's you know, got, got one of those bar mix things, you know, we're happy to, to advocate for that. Or Thermomix, that's even better. Uh, yeah, so we can advocate for all sorts of things. But when it comes to talking about being Christian, we can often feel a little standoffish. I think as a church, I hope as a church, uh, we do reasonably well at sort of the organised stuff, you know, so like, you know, sharing the good news when we come to church or Cross Life Kids or youth. We've got SRE when we go out into our community, but even then that's kind of within an institution and an organisation and a structure. 
But we don't do quite so well when it comes to our personal conversations and our personal invitations. And that's certainly reflected in your feedback to us over the last couple of years. So uh, about 14 months ago, we did a survey. It was called the National Church Life Survey. And it was just asking people, you know, how, how do you perceive yourself? How do you perceive our church community? And the goal was, as we think about who we are, and as we look at the Bible and, and what it says about who we should be, it helps us to then consider, well, OK, well, where do we go? Uh, what does it mean to, to go forward together? And in that survey, there was a couple of common themes, but let me pick a few. Uh, firstly, out of nine different categories, faith sharing came in as our weakest. So our perhaps lowest priority, perhaps our most or, or most greatly feared, but it came in as our weakness. Uh, 82% of our members, of you, uh, have said that you are willing to invite a friend or relative to church, but in practice, about 30% have invited a friend or relative in the last year. And so it just reflects that, that we, there are some real challenges before us, aren't there? And, and so the question is, well, what would it look like? What would it take for us to be more engaged? And I think it comes down to two things, conviction and courage. So conviction is that deeply held belief that something is true and others need to hear it. And that comes, I think, from one of two places. You, you need to hear it because this is awesome. This wouldn't just improve your life. This is the Snickers that really satisfies. Uh, that's the more positive place. The more negative place is fear. You know, I want you to avoid something terrible. You know, so when we see a child running towards the road, uh, they, they look happy, they're giggling, you know, and, but we yell at them. Uh, and we yell at them because we love them and we want them to avoid something bad. So to pick up the language of our passage, the testimony about God is great news uh, if we are willing to hear it. But equally, it is terrible news if we refuse. And so we want good things for people we love but we also want them to avoid bad things. This isn't just about missing out on the good. It's not just missing out on the ice cream. It's that there are terrible consequences for ignoring the God who created us. And we want them to hear the good. We want them to avoid the bad. Well, the Bible tells us about God and how I need to relate with God. And then I think we need to ask the question, well, do I believe this is actually true? You know, as I'm thinking about how I would share my faith, what would we say? And are we convinced it's actually true? So last week, Pete alluded to a really helpful resource. It's called Two Ways to Live. If you've been in Christian things for a while, you would have seen it. It's six pictures that try to capture the entire sort of big message of the Bible. It leaves out a, out a detail or two. But it's the fundamentals of what would it mean to become a Christian. So let me give you the super short version. And next week for Pete's seminar, he's going to sort of take this and, and flesh it out. So this is sort of, you know, the, the taster uh, before uh, the seminar next week. But as we look at it, uh, let's ask ourselves, is this our conviction? Is this what we believe? So here's the short version. God created the world. 
and he created us. Uh, Secondly, humanity has rejected his authority, and the Bible calls that sin. And that rejection expresses itself in our attitudes, but also our behaviours. Rather than us submitting to God, we want God to submit to us and endorse whatever behaviours we feel are good and right. And the consequences of sin is death. So we're not just talking about physical death, we're all going to physically die but eternal separation from the God who created us. Thankfully, uh, Jesus came and died on the cross to pay the price for our sin. And we talk about Jesus being our substitute. Uh, He stands in our place and suffers our consequences. And then Jesus rises again. And that's important because that becomes proof that our sin really has been dealt with He has secured our salvation, but also establishes his authority. He is the present, risen saviour and Lord who calls us to submit to him and to his rule and who offers life. Not just existence, but meaningful, purposeful, rich, satisfying life. In the present, but also for eternity. And so that leaves us with a choice. Uh, We can either continue to go it alone, I'm going to take the ball and run off and play my own game, Uh, or we choose to recognise who Jesus is, we recognise his lordship and authority, and we turn away from who we were, and we embrace a new life, and a new way of thinking, and a new way of prioritising life, with Jesus taking the lead. And clearly, if we are Christians here today then we are works in progress. Uh, So we know that's who we aspire to be, but that is not who we always are, is it? We always fall short, and thankfully God is gracious and even then forgives. But that's the short version of the whole Bible. That's the version or the short version we heard in Ephesians 2 a couple of weeks ago when Pete was preaching that we were dead in our transgressions and sin. We were made alive in Christ and we're saved by grace. And we hear that same message in our passage today. So verse 2. For I resolved to know nothing while I was with you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. In verse 6, we see the choice to reject Jesus as Christ because the gospel message doesn't fit the wisdom of this age or the rulers of this age who are coming to nothing. And in verse 9, we read the good that God has in store for those who accept his offer of salvation. What no eye has seen, what no ear has heard, and what no human mind has conceived, the things God has prepared for those who love him. And so let me ask you again, have we been convicted of that message? Do we love God and do we want to see him honoured? And do we recognise that the people we love also need to recognise the Lordship of Christ? If that is our conviction, uh, then we will be willing to take risks. But even with that conviction, speaking takes courage. And certainly that was true for the Apostle Paul. Verse 3, I came to you in weakness and with great fear and trembling. You know, no one wants to be afraid, uh, but if we are going to be afraid, it's good to know that we are in good company. 
And if you look at Paul, if you go, well, if he can overcome his fears, and he's just another person like you and I, then perhaps we can overcome ours. So if your fear is not knowing what to say or not knowing how to say it real good, then you're in good company because that's exactly how Paul felt. And that fear can be paralysing, can't it? You know, we're fearful that we're going to end up doing more harm than good. Uh, perhaps we're fearful about how they'll respond. You know, what questions will they ask? Or what arguments do they have to perhaps counter what we're saying? And so we're almost afraid that if we go into this conversation, it might actually become more confronting for us than challenging for them. And we're not really ready to face the possibility that perhaps uh, we're wrong. Um, perhaps we haven't got it all right. You know, if those feelings resonate for you and you're not sort of quite sure where to start, then I think here's a few things that are helpful. Uh, the first one is pray. Uh, in the words of Paul from our passage last week, and pray for us too, that God may open a door for our message. So let's pray that we have the opportunity to start a conversation. We might see those opportunities when they arrive. Because so often we see them after the fact, don't we? You know, you're in a conversation at work and all of a sudden you know exactly what you should say. The only problem is it was about 35 minutes ago. And so in the moment, you know, pray that we might have words to say. But equally, let's pray that rather than it's just us trying to start a conversation, pray that, that God might be stirring something in them and for people to approach us for a conversation. You know, they've seen the way you live, they've seen the way you work, they know you're a Christian, uh, they've got their own challenges and questions about life. And all of that becomes an invitation for a conversation. So we're praying for open doors and we're praying that we might have the right words to say. Jesus says to his disciples, the Holy Spirit will teach you at that time what you should say. That was his encouragement to them. And we pray that God might show the same mercy to us. And we pray that God will do even greater things than our words deserve. You know, we might not be the most eloquent or the most persuasive, but thankfully, God's spirit is infinitely more powerful than our words. And that's certainly the emphasis here for Paul as he reflects on his experience to the Corinthians. So from verse 4, my message and my preaching were not with wise and persuasive words, so that your faith might not rest on human wisdom, but on God's power. And we see it again in verse 10. These are the things God has revealed to us by his spirit. So the first one is pray. Uh, the second is prepare. And we recognise that God's spirit is the real power behind our words. And we pray that God might work powerfully through our words. But we still want to honour God with the words we speak. And so we want to proclaim God's word clearly and faithfully. It's unlikely that the conversation is going to be as neat as, I was just wondering if you could you know, tell me you know, what it is to be a Christian and do you have six handy pictures? Uh, usually life just doesn't work like that. Uh, conversations are messy. You, you, you start in all sorts of different places. One conversation might simply be a conversation about are people good and do bad things or are people bad and occasionally do good things? And that might be the entire conversation. Uh, but that might be the start of another conversation another time. 
And I think part of being prepared is being prepared to be challenged. And that can be confronting. Uh, Simply because someone is a better debater doesn't make them right, but it does make them compelling, and that can make us feel very vulnerable. Uh, When I was at Bible college, I went to Bible college when I was about 22. I was young and enthusiastic, and I used to go to this cafe. It was called the Green Iguana. Uh, If you go to the cafe uh, 10 times uh, and spend 10 bucks, they give you a T-shirt. I had three T-shirts, which, as a 22-year-old, covered me most of my week, uh, which was excellent. Uh, So I was a regular there, but another regular was a guy called Bob Gould. And Bob Gould owned Gould's Books. And he was actually a a little bit of a a local sort of, you know, icon sort of figure. And and he was very, very left-leaning in his political views and his life views. And we'd often sit at a share table and we'd get into conversations. And I remember one day, and he's been having conversations with more college students for a lifetime. Anyway, it it was was awful. Uh, You know, I'm trying to defend my faith and... And he's very graciously, but very compellingly, uh, sort of beating me into the ground. And, you know, I walk out and, and f- feeling quite despairing and uh, not quite as youthful and enthusiastic as I was. Uh, but as I, as I went away and, and I reflected on it, uh, I then sort of realised, you know, what, what answers do I need? How could I respond to those things? And, of course, you're at more college at this stage and you've got books and you've got people to talk to. And that's really helpful, you know. But as you come away from that, it can be incredibly confronting. But as you go away, you think, actually, we do have answers to those questions. Uh, And as time went on, uh, I would chat to him occasionally. I'm not sure if he ever knew my name, but we were just sort of there and chat. And every year, he would come to the Moore College graduation. And I think part of that was, even though he wasn't necessarily convinced, he saw something compelling. Uh, in it. And so the witness of, of lots of other people, not, not me per se, but lots of other people built a story to him of what Christians were like. Uh, and we pray that in that they saw Christ. So, you know, part of overcoming our fear is, you know, recognising that it can be daunting, it can be intimidating. But how do we then work through it? One of those rare moments where I've actually lost my spot altogether. (laughs) There we are. Part of courage is overcoming the fear of what to say and what others say to us. But I think this is where we're up to. Got it. (laughs) The other big challenge to our courage is less about content and it's more about relationships. And I think that's very true. As a general thing, you know, we like our families... Uh, we like our friends, we like our work colleagues. Uh, we really do want to be respected in our work and we avoid awkward situations and we avoid conflict. And so talking about Jesus comes with a lot of social risk uh, for us. And so it takes enormous comfort to know that you know, as we struggle with those feelings, again, we think about people like Paul, we think about just our brothers and sisters in Christ, that we're not alone in those feelings. And so often we feel those, those personal feelings and those personal vulnerabilities are exacerbated by the cultural mood in which we're in. You know, often the anger and the vitriol of our culture towards Christians 
is about our unwillingness to endorse the values of our time. Uh, most significantly at the moment, uh, it's our unwillingness to endorse same-sex marriage and homosexuality as values that are consistent with following Christ. You know, in previous generations, as Christians, you know, we could have our, our promiscuous friends, uh, you know, go out and get drunk and all the rest of it, and we could still be good friends, even though we might not agree with their life choices. But the cultural mood has shifted. Shifted. So on a society level, you know, we talk a lot about, you know, celebrating diversity and inclusion, but often it's conforming to a particular set of values. And as Christians, we recognise that we no longer sit within those acceptable values. And often we're seen as a danger to others. You know, some of the darkest periods of Christian history were when Christians tried to force people to be Christians. And they did absolutely horrendous things in the name of Christ. But I think we're picking up some of those same patterns of behaviour in our culture. You know, Jesus never forced people to follow him. He argued, he persuaded, he rebuked, he showed compassion and mercy, he loved, he called people to repent and believe. But he didn't force. Uh, to be fair, he did have the Holy Spirit. Uh, but no one comes to Christ unwillingly. But I think in our culture, we see force, and it's more social force than physical force, as now acceptable. Because if, they're right, if we're wrong and they're right, then it feels morally right to compel someone. So I think a good example at the moment is Andrew Thorburn. If you miss the story, uh, Andrew Thorburn was the CEO of the National Australia Bank, so a very competent leader. Uh, he is a Christian and he goes to church, uh, not to a church dissimilar to ours, that takes the Bible seriously. And that includes the biblical teaching that sex is for marriage and marriage is between a man and a woman. Uh, Andrew was appointed the chairman of the Essendon Football Club and with 24, within 24 hours of his appointment, he resigned. Uh, this is what he said at the time. And uh, I think it's helpful as we think about how we would respond to someone accusing us of being hateful for not supporting a particular set of moral values. He says this, It became clear to me that my personal Christian faith is not tolerated or permitted in the public square, at least by some and perhaps by many, he said in a statement. People should be able to hold different views on complex personal and moral matters and be able to live and work together, even with those differences and always with respect. And I think that is helpful for us as Christians that we can disagree, that we can still love, that we can still respect. Now, I appreciate that example is perhaps a long way from our day-to-day -day conversations, and I suspect the cultural mood in Shell Harbour is perhaps less volatile than other parts of Sydney, but it still influences how people perceive Christians, and it potentially leaves us, I think, conditioned to keep our head down, you know, lest we be next. You know, of course, the real issue isn't about Christian values and ethics. You know, we don't simply want a more moral society, uh, even though we believe that Christian values are good for society. But what we really want for people 
is for them to recognise the Lordship of Christ. Uh, somewhat uh, conveniently, uh, the Archbishop uh, Kanishka uh, wrote to all the ministers this week and he expresses very eloquently what our heart's desire should be for others. And I think, that, again, this is helpful. We long for all people to so encounter the grace and glory of Jesus that they would gladly turn from self-rule and entrust themselves to him for forgiveness of sins and new life in the power of the Spirit. Only then will they have a God-given desire to live in accordance with his will and the God-given power to do so. It's a great quote, isn't it? That's what we want for people, to recognise the Lordship of Christ. Now, I'm not sure today if I have left you inspired and encouraged uh, to share your faith, or perhaps slightly petrified, uh, but it is daunting, isn't it? You know, but I hope as we acknowledge our fears and our insecurities, as we acknowledge the pressures of the culture around us, that it prepares us to face our fears. And even acknowledging them to ourselves often takes away some of their power. But more than that, I pray that we are so convinced of the goodness of the gospel that we will overcome our fears. And so often when we do, when we do get into those conversations, we're surprised how people respond. At worst, most often, or sometimes, you know, they're politically, you know, politely disinterested. Uh, others are curious and others are genuinely searching for something that is better than where they are right now. And certainly that was one of the, the lovely things of, of Corinne's story, that they come across a woman who is in a terrible place and isn't it beautiful that they've got answers in the gospel. And so you never know uh, where even the smallest of conversations might go. Let me pray. Dear Lord, we do thank you that you love us, that you created us, uh, that your word brings life. And so, Lord, we pray that that might be our deepest conviction uh, that it might give us courage, uh, that we might take pleasure in sharing your good news with others because we recognise that they need that same salvation that we need and that you're offering the same salvation that you have offered us. So, Lord, give us courage, give us conviction that we might honour you. Amen.